This is section 41 of The Gilded Age. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Gilded Age, a tale of today by Mark Twain and C.D. Warner. Chapter 41. Henry Brierly was at the Dilworthys constantly, and on such terms of intimacy, that he came and went without question. The senator was not an inhospitable man. He liked to have guests in his house, and Harry's gay humor and rattling way entertained him, for even the most devout men and busy statesmen must have hours of relaxation. Harry himself believed that he was of great service in the university business, and that the success of the scheme depended upon him to a great degree. He spent many hours in talking it over with the senator after dinner. He went so far as to consider whether it would be worth his while to take the professorship of civil engineering in the new institution. But it was not the senator's society, nor his dinners, at which this scapegate remarked that there was too much grace and too little wine, which attracted him to the house. The fact was the poor fellow hung around there day after day for the chance of seeing Laura for five minutes at a time. For her presence at dinner he would endure the long bore of the senator's talk afterwards, while Laura was off at some assembly, or excused herself on the plea of fatigue. Now and then he accompanied her to some reception, and rarely, on off nights, he was blessed with her company in the parlor, when he sang, and was chatty and vivacious, and performed a hundred little tricks of imitation and ventriloquism, and made himself as entertaining as a man could be. It puzzled him not a little that all his fascinations seemed to go for so little with Laura. It was beyond his experience with women. Sometimes Laura was exceedingly kind, and petted him a little, and took the trouble to exert her powers of pleasing, and to entangle him deeper and deeper. But this, it angered him afterwards to think, was in private. In public she was beyond his reach, and never gave occasion to the suspicion that she had any affair with him. He was never permitted to achieve the dignity of a serious flirtation with her in public. "'Why do you treat me so?' he once said reproachfully. "'Treat you how?' asked Laura in a sweet voice, lifting her eyebrows. "'You know well enough. You let other fellows monopolize you in society, and you are as indifferent to me as if we were strangers.' can i help it if they are attentive can i be rude but we are such old friends mr brierly that i didn't suppose you would be jealous i think i must be a very old friend then by your conduct towards me by the same rule i should judge that colonel selby must be very new laura looked up quickly as if about to return an indignant answer to such impertinence but she only said well what of colonel selby sauce-box nothing probably you'll care for your being with him so much as the town talk that's all what do people say asked laura calmly oh they say a good many things you are offended though to have me speak of it not in the least you are my true friend i feel that i can trust you you wouldn't deceive me harry throwing into her eyes a look of trust and tenderness that melted away all his petulance and distrust what do you say some say that you've lost your head about him, others that you don't care any more for him than you do for a, a dozen others, but that he is completely fascinated with you and about to desert his wife, and others say it is nonsense to suppose you would entangle yourself with a married man, 
and that your intimacy only arises from the matter of the cotton claims for which he wants your influence with dilworthy but you know everybody is talked about more or less in washington i shouldn't care but i wish you wouldn't have so much to do with selby laura continued harry fancying that he was now upon such terms that his advice would be heeded and you believe these slanders i don't believe anything against you laura but colonel selby does not mean you any good i know you wouldn't be seen with him if you knew his reputation do you know him laura asked as indifferently as she could only a little i was at his lodgings in georgetown a day or two ago with colonel sellers sellers wanted to talk with him about some patent remedy he has eye-water or something of that sort which he wants to introduce into europe selby is going abroad very soon laura started in spite of her self-control and his wife does he take his family did you see his wife yes a dark little woman rather worn must have been pretty once though has three or four children one of them a baby they'll all go of course she said she should be glad enough to get away from washington you know selby has got his claim allowed and they say he has had a run of luck lately at morrissey's laura heard all this in a kind of stupor looking straight at harry without seeing him is it possible she was thinking that this base wretch after all his promises will take his wife and children and leave me is it possible the town is saying all these things about me and a look of bitterness coming into her face does the fool think he can escape so you are angry with me laura said harry not comprehending in the least what was going on in her mind angry she said forcing herself to come back to his presence with you oh no i am angry with a cruel world which pursues an independent woman as it never does a man i'm grateful to you harry i'm grateful to you for telling me of that odious man and she rose from her chair and gave him her pretty hand which the silly fellow took and kissed and clung to and he said many silly things before she disengaged herself gently and left him saying it was time to dress for dinner and harry went away excited and a little hopeful but only a little the happiness was only a gleam which departed and left him thoroughly miserable she never would love him and she was going to be the devil besides he couldn't shut his eyes to what he saw nor his ears to what he heard of her what had come over this thrilling young lady-killer it was a pity to see such a gay butterfly broken on a wheel was there something good in him after all that had been touched he was in fact madly in love with this woman it is not for us to analyze the passion and say whether it was a worthy one it absorbed his whole nature and made him wretched enough if he deserved punishment what more would you have perhaps this love was kindling a new heroism in him he saw the road on which laura was going clearly enough though he did not believe the worst he heard of her he loved her too passionately to credit that for a moment and it seemed to him that if he could compel her to recognize her position and his own devotion she might love him and that he could save her his love was so far ennobled and become a very different thing from its beginning in hawkeye whether he ever thought that if he could save her from ruin he could give her up himself is doubtful such a pitch of virtue does not occur often in real life especially in such natures as harry's whose generosity and unselfishness were matters of temperament rather than habits or principles. 
he wrote a long letter to laura an incoherent passionate letter pouring out his love as he could not do in her presence and warning her as plainly as he dared of the dangers that surrounded her and the risks she ran of compromising herself in many ways laura read the letter with a little sigh maybe as she thought of other days but with contempt also and she put it into the fire with the thought they are all alike harry was in the habit of writing to philip freely and boasting also about his doings as he could not help doing and remain himself mixed up with his own exploits and his daily triumphs as a lobbyist especially in the matter of the new university in which harry was to have something handsome were amusing sketches of washington society hints about dilworthy stories about colonel sellers who had become a well-known character and wise remarks upon the machinery of private legislation for the public good which greatly entertained philip in his convalescence laura's name occurred very often in these letters at first in casual mention as the belle of the season carrying everything before her with her wit and beauty and then more seriously as if harry did not exactly like so much general admiration of her and was a little nettled by her treatment of him this was so different from harry's usual tone about women that philip wondered a good deal over it could it be possible that he was seriously affected then came stories about laura town talk gossip which harry denied the truth of indignantly but he was evidently uneasy and at length wrote in such miserable spirits that philip asked him squarely what the trouble was was he in love upon this harry made a clean breast of it and told philip all he knew about the selby affair and laura's treatment of him sometimes encouraging him and then throwing him off and finally his belief that she would go to the bad if something was not done to arouse her from her infatuation he wished philip was in washington he knew laura and she had a great respect for his character his opinions his judgment perhaps he as an uninterested person in whom she would have some confidence and as one of the public could say something to her that would show her where she stood philip saw the situation clearly enough of laura he knew not much except that she was a woman of uncommon fascination and he thought from what he had seen of her in hawkeye her conduct towards him and towards harry of not too much principle of course he knew nothing of her history he knew nothing seriously against her and if harry was desperately enamored of her why should he not win her if he could if however she had already become what harry uneasily felt she might become was it not his duty to go to the rescue of his friend and try to save him from any rash act on account of a woman that might prove to be entirely unworthy of him for trifler and visionary as he was harry deserved a better fate than this philip determined to go to washington and see for himself he had other reasons also he began to know enough of mr bolton's affairs to be uneasy pennybacker had been there several times during the winter and he suspected that he was involving mr bolton in some doubtful scheme pennybacker was in washington and philip thought he might perhaps find out something about him and his plans that would be of service to mr bolton philip had enjoyed his winter very well for a man with his arm broken and his head smashed with two such nurses as ruth and alice illness seemed to him rather a nice holiday and every moment of his convalescence had been precious and all too fleeting 
with a young fellow of the habits of philip such injuries cannot be counted on to tarry long even for the purpose of love-making and philip found himself getting strong with even disagreeable rapidity during his first weeks of pain and weakness ruth was unceasing in her ministrations she quietly took charge of him and with a gentle firmness resisted all attempts of alice or any one else to share to any great extent the burden with her she was clear decisive and peremptory in whatever she did but often when philip opened his eyes in those first days of suffering and found her standing by his bedside he saw a look of tenderness in her anxious face that quickened his already feverish pulse a look that remained in his heart long after he closed his eyes sometimes he felt her hand on his forehead and did not open his eyes for fear she would take it away he watched for her coming to his chamber he could distinguish her light footstep from all others if this is what is meant by women practicing medicine thought philip to himself i like it ruth said he one day when he was getting to be quite himself i believe in it believe in what why in women physicians then i'd better call in mrs dr longstreet oh no uh, one will do one at a time i think i should be well to-morrow if i thought i should never have any other the physician thinks thee mustn't talk philip said ruth putting her finger on his lips but ruth i want to tell you that i should wish i never got well if there there thee must not talk thee is wandering again and Ruth closed his lips, with a smile on her own that broadened into a merry laugh as she ran away. Philip was not weary, however, of making these attempts. He rather enjoyed it. But whenever he inclined to be sentimental, Ruth would cut him off, with some such gravely conceived speech as, "'Does thee think that thy physician will take advantage of the condition of a man who is as weak as thee is? I will call Alice, if thee has any dying confessions to make.' As Philip convalesced, Alice more and more took Ruth's place as his entertainer, and read to him by the hour when he did not want to talk, to talk about Ruth, as he did, a good deal of the time. Nor was this altogether unsatisfactory to Philip. He was always happy and contented with Alice. She was the most restful person he knew, better informed than Ruth, and with a much more varied culture, and bright and sympathetic. He was never weary of her company if he was not greatly excited by it. She had upon his mind that peaceful influence that Mrs. Bolton had when, occasionally, she sat by his bedside with her work. Some people have this influence, which is like an emanation. They bring peace to a house. They diffuse serene content in a room full of mixed company, though they may say very little, and are apparently unconscious of their own power. Not that Philip did not long for Ruth's presence all the time. Since he was well enough to be about the house, she was busy again with her studies. Now and then her teasing humor came again. She always had a playful shield against his sentiment. Philip used sometimes to declare that she had no sentiment, and then he doubted if he should be pleased with her after all, if she were at all sentimental, and he rejoiced that she had, in such matters, what he called the airy grace of sanity. She was the most gay, serious person he ever saw. Perhaps he was not so much at rest or so contented with her as with Alice, but then he loved her, and what have rest and contentment to do with love? End of chapter 41